Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Come hell or high water, you're still on the throne. Amen. Now, can you put that picture back up there again? And that, that fellow in a tight and a tough place. Can you all do that? Look at that. I thought, now, if that, if that doesn't, if that's not exactly a picture of what I've felt like a time or two in my life, you know, you can't hardly hang on and it's a step too big to take. So what do you do? What do you do? Fresh strength for a tough place. I don't know who this is for. I may just be preaching to myself this morning. But your tough place may not be in a church setting. It may be. Your tough place may be in a work situation. It may be a medical thing. It may be a family thing that's gotten close to your heart. But I believe the Lord wants us to know by His Spirit today that He is capable of delivering fresh strength to your tough place. Not reheated, microwaved, old strength. But the Scripture says His mercies are new when? Every morning. Great is His faithfulness. If he has called you, if he has given you a sense of a mission with your life, and again, you hear me saying this all the time, I'm not talking about Sunday school teachers and church staff members and preachers behind microphones as if that is the only thing to be called to. The fellow we're going to be looking at a little more in detail this morning was none of the above. He was, he was a head of state. He was, a, he was a commander of armies. He was an administrator. That's what he became. But at the time that we pick him up in his life, he's just trying to survive. He's just trying to make it until the time that the Lord's promises regarding him would all be fulfilled. And that was going to be a while. His name is David. And I want you to find in your copy of the scripture, the book of 1 Samuel and chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Now you'll remember some of the background as we come into this passage because we landed here last week. David was a victim of an enraged king's jealousy. He was a victim of jealousy. Anybody ever been a victim of jealousy? Not the perpetrator, perpetrator of jealousy, but the victim of jealousy. Somebody just can't stand you, and they wouldn't say it this way, but the truth of the matter is they're jealous of who you are. They're jealous of what you have. They're jealous of the things that you're able to do. They're jealous of the things that you're blessed with. That was David, and Saul, the king, was the perpetrator of jealousy, but he had at his disposal, Saul did, all manner of ways to make David's life miserable. Samuel, the prophet, had come because the Lord had said, I'm going to choose for myself a king from the sons of Jesse in Bethlehem. 
eight total sons, seven were only counted. The prophet came, the Billy Graham of the day showed up. David wasn't even invited to the family supper. But he ended up being the one that the Lord said, he's a man after my heart. He'll do what I purpose for him to do. He's the king that I have chosen. Well, some way or another, the word got out about that, about that proclamation. It was held quietly for a while, but it says that when, when Samuel the prophet anointed David in the presence of his brothers, the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily from that day forward. Not too many days after that, could have been a few months, might have been a couple of years. You remember the story of the battle between the Israelites and the Philistines, and the champion of the Philistines, the nine and a half foot tall Goliath, the giant, was taunting and daring just anybody to come and fight with him. We'll settle this with a, you know, with a one-on-one. Um, how even was that? Nine and a half feet tall and so forth. David, however, ended up on that day, heard what the giant said. Something went off in his spirit that said, right. That, that one is coming against my God and the God of the armies of Israel. And as the Lord gave me strength, as God gave me strength to take the lion and the bear out, who, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Those words he spoke to Saul the king. You remember they turned David loose on the giant. And the rest is history. He, he did, in the power of the Spirit, he did something that he would not naturally be able to do with a sling and a stone, he took Goliath out. So they started singing, the ladies and the towns. David and Saul rode through the towns. They were singing. This became big news. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Something just went off in Saul's mind. David was so popular, however, that he included him in his family entourage, ate with the family, and then a little romance kicked in. Michael, Micah, one of Saul's daughters, noticed David. David noticed Micah. They fell in love. They were married. And then the the Scripture speaks of an evil spirit would press in against Saul at certain points and would cause his rage, his jealous rage, to become increasingly violent, such that he even took a spear and threw it at David a couple of times, trying to kill him, trying to pin him to the wall. Eventually, Jonathan, Saul's son, dear friend to David, had to say to David, There's no future for you here at this point. But Jonathan said to David, the day will come when you will be king over Israel and I will be at your side. My father knows that. He knows he's fighting a losing battle, but he's not quitting. You're in danger here. And so David made the choice to leave. Folks, David was probably 16, 18 or so when he took on Goliath became a national hero, but he also ended up, as a result of that popularity and that prowess on the battlefield, 
he, he became the object of Saul's jealousy. And for a period of very likely 10 to 12 years, 10 to 12 years, the anointed named king of Israel was hunted like a dog. He lived in caves he lived in tents. He lived under the shade of trees. He drank out of creek beds. He, he just was surviving. All the while, Saul was trying to kill him. Now, you know, we, we can go through stuff for six months, maybe a year, maybe a year or two. Some of you maybe have stretched, where your tough place lasted over a period of years. But for David, the extension of this tough place was somewhere between 10. It got so bad that he ended up having to leave Israel and go and try to find shelter and protection from the arch enemies of Israel, the Philistines, the, the, the ones that, that Goliath had been a part of and, and David destroyed. But the amazing thing about the Philistines, when they saw David coming they, they, were, they were willing to welcome him in, and finally this second king, Achish, in 1 Samuel 25 and 6 and so forth, where, when David fled to Achish, fled to the king, they remembered that he was such a, an amazing warrior that in, instead of killing him immediately, they thought he was becoming a traitor to Israel, so they welcomed him in and gave him shelter. The, the, the scripture will record that David lived with Achish, the Philistine king, the Philistine king who had at one time sent Goliath against the armies of Israel, and David was the one who took down Goliath. All right, so David needs help. David contacts Achish, do not know how that happened, but some way or another he did, took him in for 14 months. For over a year, he lived with this king. But what David didn't know was that the time of his trial, the time of his separation, between the time God spoke the word and God fulfilled the word that he would be king, he did not know that that time was coming to an end. When we pick this up in 1 Samuel 30, we are just days away, days away from Saul being killed, Jonathan, the sons of Saul being killed on the mountains of Gilboa by the Philistine armies, of which David and his men, 600 men positioned in the back of that very group, that very battle battalion. They were moving toward Israel. David and his men would not have fought against the sons of Israel, but it, was, it became a threat within the Philistine uh, commanders that who, why are we allowing this David who, and they could, they could quote the song, Saul is thousands, David is ten thousands. What if when we get in the middle of, of the fight, David turns on us and he begins to fight us from, from the back and we're destroyed by the enemy. So Achish had to give the, the, the king had to give the decision, stay with me, we're going somewhere with this. Achish gave the decision uh, to, to David and his men, you're going to need to leave. You're going to need to go back to Ziklag, which was the town that Achish had given David and his men to live in. You can't stay for the battle. But that battle group would go and engage Saul and the armies of Israel 
and Saul would be killed, Jonathan would be killed, the way then to the throne for David would be clear, okay? But David didn't know but what, where he was, from where he was sitting, it was going to be another 10 years. All he knew was his heart was to follow his God, that he was determined to finish in the direction at the goal that the Lord had given him, that he would wait for the Lord to elevate him as king. He would continue to be trained and learned, and he would write many of the Psalms during those years of of being hunted and mistreated. So Saul, or the, 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 the Philistines, told Achish and told David, you've got to go back, you can't stay here for the fight. So when we're about to end up in um, 1 Samuel 30, if I'll hush. But that's some of the necessary background, I believe, for you to understand. At the end of 10 to 12 years, at the end of a period of time where David, the only way he could survive, he felt, was to become a part of the enemy. He found more safety with the enemy. (laughs) Oh, I got to stop here. Something just jumped up. I'm going to shoot over this. Jack, Jack Rabbit here real quick. Some of you that I'm talking to have found more safety outside of the church than you have found in the church. Some of you have found mean people, judgmental people, critical people, hypocritical people. And as a result of that, you tried to stay in the church, you tried to grow up, you tried to finish out the way you were started But as the farther you went on, you you found that what you were experiencing within supposedly the church was an enemy to who you really were, an enemy to what you really, you you hadn't given up on Jesus, but you checked out on the church. I don't anybody say amen, you know, you you, you could, you could. And I just want to say to you that there's some things called church that are anything but it. Jesus said My church, the true church, are going to be the ones who have come to know me as the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what Peter said. And to that, Jesus made the response, this is what I'm going to build my church on. It's a loyalty to me. Not a loyalty to a denomination. Not a loyalty to a protocol. Not a loyalty to a preacher or a pastor or whatever. But a loyalty to Jesus. You find somebody who loves Jesus, whose heart is for Jesus, and you in the company with them are going to find yourself encouraged and refreshed, and they may not go to a church. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. They may not go to an established, organized church, but they love Jesus down to their toenails. The reason that they may not go to an established, organized church is because the established, organized church has broken their heart. Okay? So you may have found some encouragement. You may have found it safer in the world than safer in the church. That's not the way it's always going to be because it will be the true church that we're going to be living with and living next to forever in the Father's house. So somewhere down through all of this, there's going to be a culling out and a cleaning up of who and what the true church of Jesus really is. And it doesn't have to have a steeple. It doesn't have to have a set of bylaws. It doesn't have to have a bunch of cushioned pews. 
The true church of the Lord Jesus Christ is to meet wherever people who love Jesus want to get together and enjoy being together. Period, stomp, end of period. All right? So David, now note, I told you that was a jackrabbit. I didn't hit him, but I shot over his head as he ran off. Chase that rabbit, that necessary rabbit, a minute. David found more safety away from the so-called people of God than he found in the place where the people of God were supposed to be in charge. Because the head of the nation was so juxtaposed to what God's plan was for him that he found no safety there. Okay, so they're sent back from the battle to a Philistine city named Ziklag that he and David and his 600 men and their families had been given to live in. But when they get back there, and I'm going to summarize this, when they get back there, they find, and they didn't know who did it at first, they came to find out it was a roving band of the Amalekites, another nomadic tribe of group, powerful, warrior-like, and, and vicious. They had descended upon Ziklag, where David's two wives, Ahinoam and Abigail, and the men... And their wives, these 600, their wives and their children, their sons and their daughters, and everything they had was there in Ziklag. And the Amalekites descended upon the city, captured all of the women, all of the sons and daughters, all of the livestock, all of their goods, and carried them away and set the whole place on fire. Now David... If there was a ridge that he rode over and looked down on the smoking ruins of what used to be all he had left in this world, his thought could have been, God, this too, you're allowing to be taken from me? Voices that would say, I believe in you, I love you, I care about you. Things that had been some measure of limited comfort, but some degree of comfort, some degree of security in this season of being outcast from my own nation. God, could it have come to this? Now, that's where you... You find 1 Samuel 30, and I want you to start. Let me just read this to us. Verse 3, 1 Samuel 33, verse 3. And when David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David said to the people, the hoop worth him is basically the men, the warriors, the 600 men who'd gone out to fight with him. David said to the men who were with him, David and the men who were, lifted their voices and wept, look at this, and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. David's two wives had been taken captive. Verse 6. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. The men spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered 
each one because of his sons and his daughters. Long pause. A strong, what is called in the Hebrew or the Greek language, adversative. Adversative, the word but. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He's standing on the edge of smoking ruins. Not able to recognize any familiar loving face because all of those faces had been snatched up and taken away. He was enduring not only his personal grief, he didn't know whether his two wives were alive or dead. He didn't know which direction for sure they had gone, where they were. There was no GPS, there was no satellite imagery, there was no radio telecommunication. He didn't know where they were. It looked like everything had been destroyed. And he's been putting up with this, living through this for 10 to 12 solid, unabated years. However, this was the worst of the worst. Folks, it's almost like Satan will save the worst for last. Whether Satan knew it or not, this was going to be the last time. This was going to be the last shot at David before he became king. And his design was to brutally wreck David's life and with the hopes that his men would mutiny upon him and they would kill him. But David strengthened himself mm. and <laughs> the Lord what they want to kill you David everybody's gone everything's been taken why won't you give up on God finally but he couldn't because there was something else and something more that he knew and I'm not trying to sound preachery this morning, but I want to give you three or four things that I believe must have been a part, must have been a piece of the composition of David strengthening himself, strengthening himself in the Lord his God. Notice that, that phrase is very significant because there are not many, and some scholars would say David might have been the only one out of all of the Old Testament heroes that would address and make a point to address the God of Israel or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as his God. He strengthened himself in the Lord, Jehovah, his God. Can I just say this to you folks? If you, if you want there to be some refreshment coming in your tough season, 
It can't be your mama's God that did it for you because mama loved him so much. It can't be because the preacher in the church, the best friend that you know who lives for Jesus, it can't be because it's their God. Oh, somehow, some way, the God who will refresh you must become your God. We quote the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. No, no. Here's how we need to read it. For God so loved this David. For God so loved, put your name in it and feel it, that he loved me. He really loved me so much that he gave the greatest price that a father could ever offer, giving up his own son because he loved me, because he loved me, because he loved You start at that point, and you're not going to end up in a bad place. If you need fresh strength for a tough place, you find a way to begin to re-engage, to connect with your God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, true, but past tense. The God of Israel, very generic, <laughs> but it's just so good that he put it this way. When all hell had broken loose and everything he had to claim as his own was gone, except for the suit of clothes he had on and maybe a sword in his hand, everything else was gone, except for his God. His God, His God. They couldn't take the reality of His God away from Him. But that's not to say David didn't have that treasure in an earthen vessel. I want you to listen to these words. This is Psalm 31. Let me just read this to you. If you want to turn to it, you can find it. Let me just quickly jump into it. Psalm 31, Psalm of David. I'll rejoice and be glad in thy loving kindness, verse 7, because thou hast seen, you have seen my affliction, my suffering. You have known the troubles of my soul, and you have not given me over into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a large place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief and my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity. And my body has wasted away because of all my adversaries. I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of Dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I'm forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I'm like a broken vessel. See, this wasn't the first time David had had to walk through a tough place. It seemed to be at epic points the story of his life. And he would say, many, Psalm 34, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. His heart, 
His self-revelation continues. I'm forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I'm like a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many. Terror is on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they schemed to take away my life. Then he says, but as for me, I trust in thee, O Lord. I say, look, I say, you are my God. You are my God. All of these things, affliction, betrayal, all sorts of difficult intrigue, but I trust in you. And I say to you, you are my God. You are my God. We, we, we find that as a part of David's spiritual psyche, if you will. He was wired to still trust. He was wired to still believe that God would see him through. First, I would suggest to you that he did this to strengthen himself in the Lord. He may have heard the Lord say to him, David, remember the battles I have fought and won for you. Remember, remember the battles. We, we have some reason to believe that Psalm number 27 was written prior to this event. And it was supposedly, a number of the scholars, though it doesn't have an annotation under the title or the, the chapter heading, the sense was it, was it was written following the time that, that Saul had all of the priests in the city of Nob put to death with a sword. There were 70 of them. When he found out that the priests, the, the lead priest had helped David, given him some food, Gave him Goliath's sword. He sent a detachment of warriors there, and they torched the city. Killed every, literally, man, woman, and child, sheep, goat, burned the city. David gets word of that. That that whole city and all of those priests had been put to death with the exception of one. One of the sons of the high priest left found David, brought the, the, the ephod, the, one of the part of the priest's garments, and he became one of David's lead counselors and, and partners in seeking the will of the Lord. And his name is mentioned, Abiathar is mentioned in 1 Samuel 30 as well. But it is believed that David wrote these words in Psalm 27 after he found out what had happened at Nob. You want to, may want to look at this. It's a familiar, famous, wonderful, thrilling psalm. Fearless trust in the Lord his God. But I want you to notice what he lists as a part of the statement of trust. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came, past tense, came upon me to devour my flesh. My adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. 
Though a host encamp against me, he's not speaking past, now he's speaking future. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me in spite of this, I shall be confident. Look again at verse 2. When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. I wonder if David is looking out over the smoldering ruins of what little he had that is now gone. But as he is determined to strengthen himself in the Lord, he's reminded of what the Goliath giant said to him. You come to me and I will feed your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David remembered what God gave him the ability to do. Goliath made the threat, but the Spirit of God gave to David strength he didn't have until he needed it. And now he's able to say, looking back over, smelling that that hillside, smelling that valley, feeling again the water when he reached in the edge of it to get those five smooth stones, feeling around his wrist those leather thongs that, that held the sling, feeling the staff in one hand, looking out there and seeing that nine and a half foot tall giant staring at him. He's there again. He's feeling it. He's smelling it. The wind is in his face. And he's saying, but my God, Gave me what I needed. He saw me through. I'm remembering that when I was threatened with, come here, come here, come here, nothing. Come here, punk. Come here, loser. Come here, joke. I remember what in the middle of that my God did. He didn't do it with somebody else. He did it in me and he did it through me. Child of God, if you want to find fresh strength in your tough place, you ask the Lord to remind you of what battles he fought for you and what he took you through. You say, well, I hadn't fought a giant. I'm not, I don't know. Let me tell you something. How lost were you? How hell bound were you? How godless were you? How dead to the spiritual things? Were you any more alive than that I-beam right there, the sheet rock or these, these inanimate objects? No. But when the Lord came out of heaven, for you that lost sheep, he fought the demons of darkness. He fought the lies in your mind. He did what it took to rescue you. Greater than even Goliath being taken because you were dead and he made you alive. Folks, don't ever forget your stories. Don't ever quit telling your rescue stories. It's pivotal, it's key. When you need fresh strength, there needs to be a reminder that God did it once, God did it then, and what he did, same God, what he did then. He can do now. I'm bothered by folks who think I just get so spiritual, just so spiritual, poke them and 
you know, Job comes out. It's, you know, they're so spiritual that, I, you know, you'd never know what I used to be. Well, tell us a little bit about what you used to be. Not so sure we like you like you are now. Let's find out what you used to be. And let's hear the song of redemption come out of your lips. Let me just see you with tears coming down your eye. What amazing grace cranks up. See, tell you. David understood the importance of never forgetting what God brought him through. It's as important now as it was then. Can somebody say amen? Okay. Okay, that's one thing. The Lord would say to our hearts, if we need fresh strength for tough places, remember Remember, the battles are fought and won for you. Second one, I believe he would say to David, David repeats it or speaks it first before that even had happened at Ziklag. He had written this more than likely. The Lord say into his heart, David, seek my face. Seek my face. Another way to say it that may get a little, have a little more impact, long for my presence. You can't have the face of somebody in the room without the presence of the person also being in the room. Seek my face was just a shorthand way, I believe, of saying That the Father's heart is not just that we stack our brains full of academic, biblical, scriptural truths about who He is, but that somehow the relationship that we have with Him is linked to a felt, a felt, a felt relationship with Him. He could have used any of a number of phrases. Remember my words to Moses. Remember the promises. But he would say to David, and look, this, this is in Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I've asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Dwell in the house of the Lord. That means it'd be near to have the sense of his presence, to feel his presence. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle, in his dwelling place, in the secret place of his tent. He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in the tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. Where are you, David? Well, I'm on a battlefield. Where are you, David? Well, I'm seeing, I'm seeing the smoldering of Ziklag as it used to be. But here's what I know. That when I sense his presence, there comes with the sensing of his presence praise. Praise. You know why some folks in church get so sick of all the music about Jesus? 
And all the songs about, you know, that really these affectionate heart cries and, and declarations of who he is. It's because there's some folks who haven't felt his presence. They got it up here. They can tell you 50 different things about him. But folks, when there is the sense of his presence, it's as if everything else melts into oblivion and he is the one thing that matters and counts and he's the one most noticed. He inhabits the praises of his people. He sits enthroned upon shouts of praise. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah 6. They're still singing the same song, five millionth verse in Revelation chapter 4. It's still praise. It's still adoration. It's still honoring Him. It's still blessing Him. You can't be in His presence. You can't be in His presence without there being a sense of one of two things and sometimes both. Conviction of my own sin. In the presence of his holiness. But the depth of praise and gratitude and honor and majesty of realizing who he is. The Lord would say to David, and you read on down in, in, in verse uh, 8, or excuse me, verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, be gracious to me and answer me. When thou didst say, seek my face, my heart said to thee, thy face, O Lord, I will seek. When the Lord is saying, long for my presence, David, long for my presence. Understand, this is written evidently just after, early on in these 12, 14 years, 10 or 12 years of, of being hunted like an animal and hated by Saul, threatened with death every turn in the road. That it was in that setting, as he speaks of the Lord's deliverance, where he hears the Lord say, Seek my face, David. Long for my presence, David. He would say in, 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 in Psalm 16, I was always beholding the Lord at my right hand. I was always holding the Lord in my presence. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Folks, there is something that all the verses in the Bible can't do for you. There, there's something that being around all the Christian church people and religious people, and it's a good thing for us to have good friends. But they will never be a substitute for the mesmerizing joy-jolting sense that the king is in the room. He is where I am. Where are you, David? Well, I'm looking at smoldering ruins. Where are you, David? I've got an army encamped against me, but for some reason I can't be shaken in my boots because my God is here. I, I, I want to just so double-dog dare you to long for that if you've never tasted of it. That it'll just mess us up all afternoon and on into this week. Lord, I don't know that I've ever known your presence like that. And it could very well be, and that's why you haven't been able to stand in tough places. That's why there was a checking and running and a giving up a place and a position of authority. Because somehow I lost the sense of the one who is my strength. David would say in Psalm 18, I bless thee, O Lord, and he says, my 
strength. My strength. He was speaking of strength in the sense of not just an entity, not just a category or a footnote or something in a systematic theology teaching. It was strength that he felt. Strength that he knew. Strength that buzzed within him spiritually. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Fresh strength for tough places will come from the one who is strength. Okay. Seek my face. Remember. Remember the battles I fought for you and won. Long for my presence. Jeremiah 29, that wonderful statement. You'll seek me. And you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And then the Lord says, and I will be found by you. They, they didn't need the Torah. They had, had the Torah. He, he wasn't talking about printed scripture. But he said, you look for me with all your heart. And isn't it something how trouble has a way of clarifying that focus of seeking in our heart. Finding out nothing else can do it. Nobody else can fix it. But I have the thrill in it, folks. I'm telling you, I said this last week. That's why some folks I've known, and, and Shirley and I have talked about this in our own lives, we, we would almost not really want the season to end if it would mean that we would be less likely to continue to seek Him and less likely to continue to sense His presence. Less is more, less is more, less is more, less is more. You want me to say that again? Less is more. Have the trappings of religion. Take the empty. But give me the full. Give me the full. How come Simon Peter stood up courageously, articulately, effectively on the day of Pentecost and days following. How did he do that? It was because the Lord Jesus and the person of his spirit came to fill him with strength. You say, well, this was David. This was David. Listen, David didn't have a fraction of the promises that you and I enjoy in our birthright. David was talking about going to a tent or going to a dwelling. Paul would say, writing to the Corinthians, do, do you not know? That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Where, where is he? If you receive Christ as Savior and Lord, he's within us. That, that's the Jesus who lives within us. But that which we so often neglect and search for other things, thinking they'll take the place of it, are more important of, it is that manifesting sense of his presence. So he says, seek my face, seek my presence. I'm going to finish with just, just one more. And it is, I believe the Lord would say to David, remember who I say you are. Remember who I say you are. Remember the battles that I fought and won. 
long for my presence because I will meet you. I will answer that. I will show up. You'll find me. But then you remember (laughs) who I said you are, who I say you are. I want to show you something really interesting. Psalm, Psalm 18. Would you, would you find, you need to see this. You need to know this is in your copy of the scripture. Psalm number 18. This psalm evidently was written after Saul had been killed on, by the Philistine army, Gilboa. The, 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 path, the path is now made clear for David to ascend the throne, for the promises of the Lord to be fulfilled in his life. But folks, at this point in time, when this was written, he wasn't king over an acre. He he wasn't a king over anything in the natural sense. Nobody had anointed him. Nobody had given him a crown. When you rehearse who the Lord says you are in the face of whatever everybody else is saying you aren't, there can come a surge of fresh strength into your life. Oh, no, this is verse six, verse forty-six. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who executes vengeance for me and subdues people under me. He delivers me from my enemies, so. Surely thou dost lift me above those who rise up against me. Thou dost rescue me from the violent man. That would be Saul. Therefore I will give thanks to thee among the nations, O Lord. And I will sing praises to thy name. And then look at this. (laughs) I just kind of have to smile at this. You talk about some bodacious, audacious certainty that the Lord will fulfill what the Lord has promised even when there has been nothing to confirm this word, very little, if any, in the natural. Look at verse 50. He gives great deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. But he hadn't been crowned king of anything in the natural. There hadn't been any group of soldiers standing and saluting as he walks by because he's their king. Nothing had really happened with regard to him being the king. God has chosen the king. And the one anointed his king in the presence of his brothers. Nobody knew that really. But David and his God, who the Lord says you are, Satan will fight tooth and toenail to try to take it in another direction. But more importantly than that, he will try to get you to give up on the word from the Lord to your heart about who you are. Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be. Come forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. 
I'm talking to somebody or somebodies who've lost heart, lost strength, and there's no fresh supply because you have not yet come up higher. Come up higher. If we're still listening laterally, and we've let the lateral define, we've let the circumstances define who we've come to believe we are, even though what God has said is diametrically opposed to what the enemy is trying to get us to believe, and we give up on the word from the Lord, then that place where the Lord would desire to strengthen us so that we could continue to pursue the word of the Lord there's a grieving and a quenching, and there, no, there is no fresh. But, but when there is the sense, Lord, <laughs> I won't do like David. David said, you called him a king. And everybody out there is saying, we ought to kill him. He's such a sorry commander of troops. He didn't even set it up for Ziklag to be guarded. But if you call me a king, Lord, if you say I'm anointed, I trust you to do what you say in your timing. Realizing that David is just days now away from Saul, the great perpetrator, being put to death. No more venom coming from that direction. But as maybe a last shot, the enemy of our souls, the enemy of his soul, Tried to roll up his sleeves and do everything he could to get David to give up on the call of God on his life. I think the last thing I would have to say, I've got I need to, I need to quit, is after that had happened and the strength was returning, the Lord seemed to say to David, stand back up. Stand back up in your authority. The troops needed a commander. They didn't need a colleague. The 600 needed a commander. The commander needed to know where he was going. The Lord had intended to take them where they needed to go, defeat the marauding band, recover everything. Every wife, every child, all of their possessions, every bit of it was recovered and restored and brought back. But if David had listened to what those around him were saying and thinking and trying to push on him, he would have never stood up in his authority. Stand up in your authority. I'm talking to somebody. Get back up. Get back up. Get back up. The Lord increases the sense of his presence. And along with the sense of his presence, the sense of his mercy, the sense of his strength, and the reassuring of his calling of your life. Understand, I'm not saying the only calling is to have a microphone in front of your face. The only calling is to be at a keyboard. The only calling is to be working in a church. If that's where the Lord puts you, then amen. But again, David was a secular man with a heart for God. He would come to be a king. He would come to be commander of armies. He would come to be a builder of cities. He would come to be a, a, a manager of budgets and so forth. He wasn't a preacher. He didn't live and die in the halls of sheetrock and steeples. He lived in the real world. And the God of all glory called him to be there and made him great. Because David 
chose to believe that he was who God said he was. Okay, I'm going to quit. We may come back to some of this next week. Lord, we thank you for the time this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your challenge. Thank you for your conviction. But Lord, I'm asking you for fresh strength for some weary soldiers. I ask you, Lord, to take us back and remind us clearly of the battles you fought and won in the days of our lives to bring us through, to know you, but then in other places and times and settings. And then, Lord, I I just cry out to you, God, would you give us a hunger for your presence, for your presence, not songs about your presence necessarily or teaching about, but your presence, your presence, your presence. Fill us, Lord, with your spirit. That's what that is. That's what that means. Fill us with the sense of your presence. And then, Lord, will you remind us of what you have said, of who you have said we are. Burn that, Lord. Stir that up in us. This is what God said. This is who he says I am. And then lastly, Lord, as those things fit back into place, may you get us back on our feet again. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up in your place of God-given authority and do what I tell you to do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It is Jesus. It all starts with you, Lord Jesus. We open our hearts afresh. Lord, fill us. Lord, where we've never come to know you as Savior, we we, we look to you and trust you. Pray for many who've never prayed that prayer and expressed that longing. Jesus, save me. That that would happen even as we're talking right now. Jesus, save me. Jesus, rescue me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this preacher getting to study this passage and getting blessed all over again, Lord. Thank you for Sunday. I've been waiting for this day all week. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. And all the Lord's people say, amen. 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 Let's stand together, if we could, please. And prayer partners, if you'll head this way. If we can pray for you, pray with you, about anything you may have heard or other things that are working in your heart and life. We want to do that. Pastor Walker at alamocity.org. Folks in our streaming family have been doing such an, presenting us with such an amazing gift by sharing your heart, simple paragraph, enough for us to pray. And our intercessors, we need to expand that group of intercessors because they're just being overloaded in a good way with opportunity to pray. If something that we've been praying with you about that you turned in has, there's been a turn, a shift, maybe an answer has come, or there's being a breakthrough, you can sense it. Will you please let us know that too? We like to hear the good things as well as the burdens. He's able. He's real. He's here. He knows how to give you fresh strength in your tough place. God bless you. 
God bless you. Come this way if we can pray with you. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Amen. Bless you.